This is the Brick and Mortar Reborn Podcast. This podcast is designed to help you give a pulse on the fast-changing world of brick and mortar. As the world reopens and operators race to meet the rising expectations and demands of experience-driven post-COVID consumers, it's more important than ever to stay ahead of the curve and understand the trends and technologies that will shape the future. In each episode, I'll interview successful operators, subject matter experts, and leading thought leaders who will share their insights to help you prepare yourself and your organization for what lies ahead. I'm your host, Bobby Mahomet, CEO of Radiant. Now let's get into today's show. Everyone, welcome to another edition of Brick and Mortar Reborn. Today, we have a very special guest with us, Josh Balin, who is the Vice President of Product and Marketing at BrainCorp. Josh, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. Uh, so I know I know how busy things can get. So again, thank you for taking some time uh, out of your day to, to spend with our listeners. It's going to be great. And uh, looking at your background, it's, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks. I'm really excited to awesome. uh, dig so, in, Bobby. Absolutely, absolutely. So as, as before we get started, let's talk a little bit about you, and then we'd love to learn a little bit about BrainCorp. If you don't mind, give us a quick bio of yourself, and then talk us through what BrainCorp does. Sure. So I've been with uh, BrainCorp for almost three years now. I lead our product management and design groups, as well as our marketing efforts. In short, it's really my role to make sure that we're working on the right products and that we're prioritizing the right features and capabilities for our customers and our partners. I think like anybody who's in product, there's no shortage of, of good ideas out there. And it's always our job to really listen to customers and uh, figure out what's going to add the most value. My background is, I think, as you mentioned, just a, a bit interesting. I actually started as and uh, at Bloomberg News and transitioned to Wall Street, where I both was on the sell side and buy side and covered everything uh, pretty much with a semiconductor or a line of code in it. So I've always been involved in data, automation and robotics and uh, really excited to, uh, to get going today. Awesome, awesome. And, and talk us through a little bit about BrainCorp. What, what is the focus? What is, the, what is the vision of the company? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the vision of the company and the vision of our CEO is really robots uh, everywhere helping people. We're a global leader in robotic AI software. And so our platform, which is called BrainOS, powers the world's largest fleet of autonomous mobile robots worldwide. So we've got about 20,000 robots around the world that can navigate and learn from, from people and learn from their environments and just now start to process data in those environments and really seamlessly kind of fit into the workflows of our customers and uh, and our customers' customers. Awesome, awesome. And how do people, if a company is, well, first of all, are they just buying your software? They're buying the software and really the robot itself, or they can, can they buy the software and put it on, I guess, their own robot? Yeah, that's great. And I think that sort of speaks to maybe the long-term vision of the company. So right now, the way that people buy our stuff is they actually go through our OEM partners. So there are companies uh, that we partner with like Tenant and Nilfisk or Karcher, who they've been in manual floor care machine building for some time, right? In some cases, almost 100 years. And what our software really does is it takes their manual machines and turns them into autonomous robots. And so when a customer uh, is interested in buying a BrainOS powered robot, first we'll send them out to one of our partners to actually buy the buy the, the, the AMR. And then they'll actually sign up for a subscription with us. So our software will effectively be the uh, sort of the magic sauce that turns the, that machine into a robot. 
Got it. Got it. Got it. That's awesome. What are some customers that, that utilize um, your offering? Sure. So in, in the U.S., some of your some of your listeners may have seen us. We're in just about every Walmart uh, in America. We just rolled out sort of some of our more advanced robots in Sam's Clubs all across uh, the country. We're in a huge number of Kroger's, Menards. We're in airports and malls all around the country. In Europe, you could find us in Carrefour. Or, and we're in a variety of places in, in Asia and Australia as well. So it's, it's, it's a fun uh, exercise to spot our robots all over the world. And, and we are sort of operating everywhere. And we, we hope to be in more places. That's awesome. That's awesome. Walk us through use cases. Like what is a Walmart or Kroger's? How do they use uh, your offering? Sure. So our first offering was really in autonomous floor care, right? And so the way maybe uh, it's easy for some of your listeners to to kind of grasp it would be to think about a 900-pound Roomba running down the aisles of a, of a Walmart. And so we started really with floor care and floor scrubbing, right? Which we like to think of as some of the dull, dirty, and dangerous tasks that different retailers are uh, completing. And so what you'll see is upon sort of uh, purchase and setup of, of the robot, we effectively instruct the janitor or, or robot operator to just drive the store and clean the, the store the same way they would they would normally do so. And in effectively doing so, we leverage something that we call teach and repeat. And so once that person sort of drives the route and cleans the store, our robots are actually able to capture that route and replay that route. Right. And so sort of the first and most basic use case was floor. And it's pretty simple to get going at a Sam's Club. And this is something we announced last week. Once the robots going up and down the aisles, scrubbing the floors, we sort of thought to ourselves, well, what else could the robot be doing? And in the case of Sam's, we're actually taking high resolution images, passing those images up to a cloud. And those images effectively run through a data pipeline where we're actually able to do near real-time shelf scanning, insights, and analytics. Do you, do you find, like, over over the last few years with the pandemic, has, have things changed as far as use cases that people use the, the robots for? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, what we've seen, right, and, and businesses everywhere uh, across the country are experiencing it, but, you know, the, there's, number one, sort of absolutely been a labor shortage, right? And businesses everywhere are struggling to find any number of employee types, right? And so I almost like to think of our robots a little bit like a go-go gadget arm, right? Where not only can we kind of offset some of that work that a janitor could do, but we're actually able to actually extend and amplify uh, some of the work, right? And so while the janitor sends the robot off to do some of the work, he or she is actually able to do either customer-facing work or more important. And, and so that's sort of priority number one. I think the other thing that the pandemic really underscored was sort of a refocus on clean, right? I think that we all as a, as a society sort of started to appreciate extra cleaning, extra sanitizing, right? Different types of protocols around cash registers or freezer sections. And so where we think our robots can be super helpful, certainly in this post-pandemic environment or an emerging post-pandemic environment, is really adding uh, an, an extra layer of clean on top on top of what our, some of our customers were doing in the past. So w- without question, between the labor shortage and increase on clean, and again, I, I think everybody is really moving to improved operational performance, right? And I think the pandemic probably just accelerated that, but I think that really presents a huge opportunity for robotics and automation in general. Makes sense. Makes sense. 
as you're as you're working um, with different retailers or as li- retailers are listening to this, what are what are what are some what are some things that they should be thinking about as they think about hey, should I adopt a robot within my retail organization? So we're still early, right, in the, in the robotics and automation kind of life cycle, right? And so really figuring out, and we work with our customers all the time to sort of optimize how, how these tools can be deployed for the best way, but really figuring out how the robots are going to integrate into, in, it, into existing workflows, right? We know that there's going to be a change when you move from, I'll say, reactive cleaning to predictive or proactive cleaning, right? We know that creates some workflow changes for our customers. And so really getting ahead of that and working with our customers to really ensure that when these changes are made, there are sort of concrete, there's sort of concrete protocol so that we're getting the best results, right? And so this is robots or automation or just like any other change management process where We've got to be super specific about how they're going to be used sort of in a, in a current state and sort of what an ideal state can look like for some of those end users, right? Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense, absolutely. What are, as you're thinking about, again, again, as retailers are listening to this, why are robots the ultimate IoT play for retailers? Well, I mean, certainly one thing is that robots can do more than one thing. Right. As we've kind of talked about, while robots are cleaning the floor, they could also be collecting data. Right. And so that, that's sort of one one thing. Right. And so as these robots are going around, we can actually use those images to monitor stock levels or different pricing inaccuracies, even planogram compliance issues. And so in that sense, like getting that extra data is really critical and sort of driving some some IoT, some IoT plays. I think the other thing, and I think this is really important for, I think some of your listeners will sort of understand this, but a lot of building wide, right, or site wide, either data sensors or camera systems, they have relied on fairly expensive infrastructure in the past, right? Like there's a lot of solutions out there that want to put like fixed cameras up to monitor certain shelves or different types of sensors all around the building, maybe in floor or on shelf. And what ends up happening when you have to redesign a store is you actually have to redesign all of your tech that's supporting that store, right? And so what makes our robots such a, I think, elegant play is that those types of infrastructure changes don't really have to be made, right? Our robot is traveling around the store independent of your redesign. And so now the changes that you make on your robot can actually sort of uh, be present across your entire environment without needing to do any type of building redesign or uh, sensor redesign or, or kit reoutfitting, something like that. And so in that sense, I, I, I would claim that, 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 that robots are, in fact, sort of the ultimate IoT play. Got it. Got it. Got it. As you're, as you're thinking adoption, and one of the things that you said really things are kind of early for robotic technology, what, what do you think, like, if you had to, if you had that crystal ball of what, what the future holds for adoption of robotic technology, specifically in retail and kind of brick and mortar environments, what do you, what would you anticipate? Well, look, I, I think what you're seeing on the back end of retail is what you're going to see more and more of on the front end of retail, right? So if you look at what the companies like Ocado are doing in distribution and fulfillment centers, you're seeing full uh, system level facilities wide automation deployments being built, right? And and so I think what you see with our robots early on are us operating inside of a store, 
that's already been constructed a particular way with particular layouts. I think over time, you're going to start to see more and more facilities that are actually built uh, with automation first, right? You, you you only need look at what Amazon is doing as an example with some of their uh, cashierless facilities, right? Where there are no employees, you pick up what you want, you leave, and automatically you're charged, billed, etc. And so again, I it, it's sort of a, an easy example, but but understand as people get more comfortable with automation, right? We're we're using checkout cashierless checkout, right? And we're using these tools. But I think what you'll see more and more are facilities that are built even better to facilitate more and more automation on the front end of the house as well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. As you're, as, as you're thinking about kind of the future of the product and as you're marketing things, are there, are there things that you've seen that um, have, have been more kind of prevalent, more front of mind for retailers and brick and mortar operators as they're thinking about, you know, really the adoption of, of, of robots? Well, look, I think I think there's a couple things. Number one, I'll go back to sort of some behaviors that perhaps the, the pandemic has influenced. But, you know, the, 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 the omni-channel buying experience is certainly top of mind for retailers. What initially was buy online, pick up in store, has really evolved to a variety of different variations of that same experience, right? And so what I think is going to be really important, right, is using robots to give real-time insights into, hey, if I'm a customer looking for product X, I'm sure that it's in aisle three and you actually have one of these, right? Whether I'm the customer or whether I'm a door dasher or some type of getting, getting more insights into that, I think is going to be super critical. I think the other thing, too, is just continuing to improve the range of autonomy opportunities for robots in general, right? Again, we still require somebody plug in our robot at the end of the night, right? It's still required that somebody hit the start button. And so I think what what our customers are really asking for is, hey, I want, I want more automation, right? How can you make this thing start at a particular hour or... Can it drive on top of an automatic charging dock? Or are there opportunities to change the way the the pads automatically get changed or updated, right? And so I think you'll be looking more and more at taking some very detailed time motion studies around sort of the way that, that our customers are actually using their robots and starting to fill in those gaps. And I think as those gaps uh, get filled, they are going to embrace this more and more, right? Because I, I really don't think that the labor issues that we're having are going away anytime soon, right? Without being specific, I know some of our customers are dealing with thousands of jobs openings, if not tens of thousands of job openings in certain cases. And, uh, you know, it is it is just quite hard to hire. And so I, I would look for, for robots to, to to take up more and more of that space over time. Absolutely makes sense. Are you, as you're, as you're thinking and again, talking and, and kind of getting feedback, are there misconceptions about robots that, that you want to make sure that listeners kind of know that are not necessarily true? I, I think, I think on, on one hand, right. And there's a, there's a whole field of research around what I'll call human robot interaction. Right. And so there are, there's a, there's a, in certain stores, right, you'll see little kids come up to our robots and they'll want to touch it and look at it and talk to it. And they'll sort of just be amazed that, wow, this robot is, is, is doing, you know, something and there's no human there. And so you have this really earnest interaction with some of our robots. 
And I think at the same time, you, you also have a, a different group of people that are skeptical, right? And so how we better integrate our robots just with people is a really big, it's a really big field of research and it's a really big area of focus for us, right? And there are schools of thought that want to anthropomorphize the robot itself, right? They want to put little googly eyes on or a smiley face or even put a teddy bear in the driver. And those things can help. There are sort of different schools of thought about what helps the most. But I think those, that's an area of, of real focus. And I think that's an area to explore more. I think when I will, I will take sort of a different side of things. I think the biggest misconception, and, and we talk about this, is that really managing expectations of what you get out of a robot, right? I think when people hear the word yeah. robot, I think they do think that it's going to do everything for them, right? It's going to fix every problem. It's going to go in every nook. It's going to fix everything. And so while I don't want to undersell our product, what I would say is that robots are really good at doing what they're really good at doing. And then yeah. there's some other areas that they really can't do so well at, right? And so really, I think educating folks, you know, both on sort of how we kind of coexist with robots, but and number two, sort of both uh, better understanding their capabilities and their limitations at the same side. I think that's where we've got the biggest, the most work to do. Makes sense. Makes sense. What are some initial challenges? Let's say someone buys your, your offering. What are some of the initial challenges of deploying robotic technology in, in their locations? So without question, right, turnover of folks op actually operating the robot is one of the biggest challenges, right? So we'll go in and deployment for us is actually turned into just a, a few hours of working with the local staff and training them and giving them a mobile app and some training materials. And so the deployment process is actually pretty straightforward. It's more the continued use and engagement, I think, that we found is one of the big hurdles, Right. If, 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 let's say, the crew that we trained at Kroger Store 789, if they turn over five or six times, just by virtue of the game of telephone, you know, what we train that first group on as to, and, and, and sort of relative to what the sixth group now is, has taken from that initial training, that is, that's a challenge for us, right? And so we're doing our best to really build tools that, that sort of help support that. What, what I would say, and, and I will sort of, point this out in terms of a huge competitive advantage for us is that we have made our robots super simple to use, right? And so the actual UI on the robot, when you turn our robot on, you got two options. You can teach the robot a new route or you can run a route. They're two big buttons. And so I think the more easy, the easier we can make it for, for our customers, I think, I think the better. Right. And so I really do believe that that's sort of the biggest area that, that we need to focus more and more of our time. Makes sense. Makes sense. As you're, as you're working with retailers, uh, are there are there areas that you could help them really provide a better in-store experience with, with robots? Yeah, I mean, I think this is really where the data becomes of, of topmost importance. Right. I mean. I think that it's I think it's great that we actually can point to, hey, when you've got a cleaner store, it actually matters, right? When you see your your floor shine, it's gonna provide a better experience. It may even raise NPS just a little bit. But I think once we start getting into the data side of things, that is really where we can improve that in-store experience quite significantly. Right. Number one, you're able to deliver again sort of facing data or stockouts or price compliance and all of those things ultimately are going to add to the to the customer experience right 
having knowing that a product is where you think it's going to be right that adds to that customer experience and really kind of being an integral part in that data pipeline is something that uh, allows the retailer to kind of change their environment and and really sort of leverage robotics and the data that our robots to to really improve things and i i'd be remiss frankly if i didn't just talk about the fact that while the robot is operating that is one fewer person that is managing a piece of equipment and not talking to a customer, right? It is imperative that the retailers get as many folks as they can to get out and really connect with customers and that can drive that customer experience. And so if the robot's going around and doing its job, we really empower others to, to, to sort of add some of, the, some of that TLC to those customers directly. Makes sense, makes a lot of sense. Is there is there pricing information that's that's standard within your offering, or is it pretty custom for the for the customer? You know, it, again, like when we so so you buy the robot itself from one of our OEM partners. So your your listeners could go out and reach out to their 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 contacts at a tenant or Nilfisk or Karcher or something like that. But the size of the robot's going to dictate the price. Some of the different specific offerings that we have are going to kind of how the price varies sort of off of a base price. So yeah, I, I, I'm hesitant to sort of uh, give you a sort of a clean menu yeah. of pricing, but I would say it is relatively standard once you kind of start to determine, hey, I want it to I want it to be 20 inches wide and scrub a floor and have this particular battery life. I want to collect data. I want to collect this type of data or that type of data. Yeah, it becomes becomes fairly straightforward to hone in on a price. Yeah, yeah. And I can see the future now, but probably restocking shelves. There's probably a lot of use cases that probably come in the future of uh, of, of how robots, what we can teach robots to do, right? And interact with the, uh, yeah. with the core environment. Yeah, 100%, right? Like, again, right now, we haven't done a ton of work around articulating arms or the things that pick things up or put things in places. But you can tell some 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 other robotics companies out there are doing some amazing things in this place. And so the, the smaller that that technology gets and the more dexterous some of the movements become, I think, to your point, yes, there is there is there are more opportunities in front of us. Makes sense. That was a wealth of information, Josh. Before we let you go, what, is, what does the future look like? What, what do you see in your crystal ball for the future of robotic technology? Well, again, I, I am starting to think more and more that we're going to start to have custom designed spaces that really optimize for a variety of robotics sort of catering to a ver- uh, the different spaces in the store, right? And so I would see bathroom cleaning robots and surface cleaning robots, right? Like, a robot may be able to clean your cashier area where right today we only clean floors. Soon we'll be able to clean surfaces. I'd anticipate robots cleaning windows or different areas around. And But, but I think most importantly, robots are going to be more involved you know, intimately in data collection and analytics. I think you'll see more. I think you alluded to it with, with moving materials around from sort of point A to point B. But really, truly, simply, I, I, I see more robots. I certainly see more data that these robots are, are creating. And I see more and more sort of autonomous functionality in the, in the very near future. That's awesome, Josh. Thank you so much again for spending some time with our listeners today. I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Bobby. I really enjoyed it. It was a great chat. Absolutely. Have a great rest of your day. And again, thank you. We'll let you know as soon as we get get this published out and kind of get your feedback before we, we push it out. Great. Thank you. Really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to the Brick and Mortar Reborn podcast brought to you by Renia. For access to the latest episodes, please visit our website at brickandmortarreborn.com.